Our second message this afternoon is for Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, The Bread of Righteousness. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to give a special shout-out. Welcome to Doyle's dad, Norman. Came all the way from California. I think he's got... uh, Doyle said he might have a little bit of car lag since it was a long trip, but it's good to see you here. Welcome. The bread of life, the bread of righteousness. In the book of Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 6 it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In much of our world today, we see a lot of bad things happening. We hear a lot of bad things happening. don't need to go into the gory details because you can read about those things in in the news, on television or wherever. But it's all because there is no fear of God. And it's all because there is no hunger or thirst for righteousness in the lives of just far too many. When there is a desire uh, for, to have things be right and good in life, it has to start somewhere. And we know where that you know, starting point is. It's you know, with each and every one of us. There's a saying, a motto, a long time ago. Um, my wife, Carolyn, even used it. Uh, she said that to not be a part of the problem but to be a part of the answer, in answer to those problems, something like that. So we hear and see bad things that should make us want the kingdom of heaven, that make us want to have righteousness in our lives, and not only in our lives, but in the lives of those who are suffering and they don't know why. So there's a longing, and sometimes it seems far away that you know, we forget sometimes how important it is to be in this attitude of hunger and thirsting after righteousness. So do we really crave after righteousness of doing the right thing, of, uh, of doing those things that are pleasing in God's sight? But first of all, uh, what is righteousness? What is righteousness? In Psalm 119, 172, it says that all your commandments, all your commandments are righteousness. And then in 1 John 5, 17, it says, all unrighteousness is sin. So, what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4, whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. In Romans 7, and in verse 7, uh, what shall we say then? is the law sin. And this is uh, how we know what the the law is. Uh, God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shall not covet. So where do we find this law about coveting? We find those in the Ten Commandments. We find those in the law of righteousness. And it's the menu for everlasting life. So when we hunger 
or thirst, we fulfill the need, you know, of physical things, of physical food and drink because it's what keeps us going, it's what keeps us alive. It's the natural thing we do. We get hungry. We know we want something to eat. We get thirsty. We want something to drink. So a lot that goes on, all of that takes place in our, you know, our physical human body. It's those, those molecules and those atoms that make up that food that turns itself into energy. Every nutrient has a unit of energy. It's called a calorie. And that's from the word uh, caloric, which means heat. So we are energized and heated up. You can feel your face, you can feel your hand, and uh, you can feel the warmth from that heat being generated on the inside. So those things, and it's like King David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you look at all the processes that are going on inside of our body that processes food and drink, that gives us energy, that keeps us alive, that keeps us going, we can understand what he's, what he's looking at. Sometimes we have time to think about ourselves. And, uh, you know, like when someone leaves their seat and, uh, and you sit down and you feel that little warm spot because, you know, that, that's life, that's heat, that's going on on our inside. But like uh, our physical bodies, physical food is just temporary. And we're hungry and we're thirsty all over again. I get hungry and thirsty quite a bit. But blessed are we when we have food and drink because there are places that we can get those things. You know, we, uh, a cheeseburger or a soda and fries and chips or whatever it is that you might want. You know, we're blessed when we get those things and we're recharged. But it all runs down. But the sermon today is about the bread of righteousness. And it says that we are blessed when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, for we shall be filled. So we're uh, we'll be speaking about these spiritual things, namely the bread of righteousness that leads to life. In John chapter 6, uh, verse 27, uh, the people that were there, they were following Jesus, and they saw that he wasn't there, and neither were his disciples. Uh, I'm reading from the above verses there. And so they... Uh, they decided they would look, uh, take some shipping to seek Jesus. And they found him on the other side of the sea, and they said, Rabbi, when did you, uh, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, you know, or truly, or amen, amen, I, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw them, because, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So they wanted, you know, they wanted some more. They all wanted to come and, and eat again, and this food must have really tasted good. And so uh, Jesus said that to them. And then he says in verse 27 of John chapter 6, To labor not for the meat, that is the food which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God the Father seal. So we're to labor for uh, the bread that the Son of Man shall give unto you. You know, it goes without saying, we need food to eat. We need water to drink. We need those things to sustain our bodies. Well, they said unto him, well, what shall we do that we might work the work of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe 
on him whom he has sent. And they said therefore unto him, well, what signs show you then that we may see and that we may believe you? And uh, what, do, what do you work? So they wanted a convincing sign from him. And they also asked, well, what, what is it that you work? It's like, uh, what is it you do anyway? Verse 31, they said, Well, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they, they believed the words of, of the prophets, of the patriarchs, and, and they had just read about it, and so, this, so they believed this. But Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So the manna from heaven was, you know, for their temporary use. It was for their temporary existence. It was not the true uh, bread of life, the true bread of righteousness that the Father is giving them now with Jesus in their presence and feeding them with the word of God to satisfy the longing, the hunger for righteousness. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven, and gives life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. So when you look at verse 33, this bread that comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world, you know, it is in a very deep spiritual sense that we understand that. How is that possible? How is it that words can give you life more than food or water? So uh, when it... When, they asked him, uh, said to Jesus, this, you know, this sounded good to them. Give us uh, more of this bread. So Jesus in verse 35 said, and said unto them, I am the bread of life. And he that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. The word of God, when it soaks into our hearts and into our minds, gives us a reason and a purpose for living and for enduring whatever you know, adversity we might have, for whatever weakness we might have in our life that comes our way. He's the bread of life and we have to take his word into our life in order to fulfill whatever hunger and thirst that we may have. When we don't understand a trial or a problem that's come to us, there is the bread of life that gives us that understanding and that strength. So you can apply that as you may, but we're we're looking at the spiritual food that comes from heaven. And so, after he said this, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But lest they misunderstand, he was referring to himself as that bread of life and not about physical food. As I said, you, you can't do without physical food. So he was comparing that in like manner, just as physical food is needful, so is the spiritual. Verse 36, but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You see me, but you just don't believe me. And they just weren't getting the connection. Here, he was the sign they, they were asking about, and he was standing before them in their presence. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise 
cast out. So whomever uh, the Father sends Jesus' way and believes in him to partake of him will not be driven away because he knows they are there. They've come because the Father has sent them to him. Just as the Father in some point in your life has sent you to Jesus to believe in him and to partake of his word. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise, him, raise it up again at the last day. That's the Father's will, that whoever sent to Christ, as we said here, that is the aim, to be risen at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, in verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Everlasting life, you know, you think, well, some, there are days when you think you just want to sleep the day away. And then when you think about everlasting life, you know, uh, that's a pretty long time. Just, you know, how else to describe it? You know, some people have described everlasting life as picturing uh, a bird that comes down and, and rubs his beak against a granite like the size of Mount Everest once a year. And uh, that just gives you the time scale of everlasting life. It's just a concept that's really beyond what we are a able to understand. I think about that sometimes. You know, sometimes in my own life I think, well, man, I don't know if I can really live out today or the week that's coming up because, you know, trials and troubles. But, you know, eye has not seen or ear heard the things that Jesus has prepared for them that love him. And so you have to think ahead. That everlast, this everlasting life is something that is promised. And Jesus is that everlasting bread of life. And his recipe for, for, uh, in righteousness, for which we should hunger and, after, uh, and thirst after, is what we should uh, you know, set our minds toward. Verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I came down from heaven? So they knew, his, they knew of his parents. They knew that he had come from a mother's womb. How is it they grumble that he says, He came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. Not everyone understands, but those whose minds and hearts are opened up by the Father to draw them to Jesus, and they will be raised up at the last day, at the last trump in the resurrection to everlasting life. And you know, that's a special calling. That's something that the Father, in some way, just, you know, just put, puts his hand on, you know, just uh, figuratively speaking, puts his hand in yours or on your back and just sort of guide you toward Jesus. You're looking for something in answer to your prayers or in answer to your trials and he leads you to Jesus. And so, you know, that's why many of us are here. That's why we're all here. 45, it is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Verse 46, 
not that any man has seen the Father, except he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me hath everlasting life. He that believes on me hath everlasting life. You believe in Jesus, you have everlasting life. But, you know, between this point and the point coming, you know, there's a lot of things that can turn your eyes away. A lot of things could be a pitfall to you. Uh, so we still have to thirst and hunger after righteousness. In Romans 8, verse 1, it says, this is about us, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the, in, in the flesh. So you believe in Jesus, you believe in the work that he's done, you believe in his words as uh, leading to life, you have everlasting life. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. So you've got to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We kind of forsake that life and that peace if we are not spiritually minded. Sometimes when I don't have peace of mind, when it feels like my life is just not going the way it should, it's because I'm being more carnally minded than I should be. I'm not going after the spiritual words of Christ. I'm not applying those things into my life. So it's important to hunger and to thirst after righteousness and to keep our minds filled with the saving power and energy of God. Uh, John 6, verse 49 Jesus, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, up in verse 48. And verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, it sounds like a horrible thing to do. So the, the Jews, that is the religious leaders that were in the crowd listening to Jesus, they started arguing among, among themselves on hearing this. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It'd be, you know, it'd be just a horrible thing to do. Verse 53, then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So Jesus reiterated his words. And he said again to them to just emphasize the importance and the truth of those words. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood 
has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. When we partake of the bread of righteousness, we understand what Jesus did for us through his sacrifice. And we also understand the words that he also lived by that uh, gives him everlasting life, just as we shall have everlasting life. And he says in verse 55, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So you see here that uh, this uh, uh, flesh and blood is analogous to, uh, to water and, and to food, bread. So it, it is genuine food and drink in a spiritual sense, just as the physical food that we partake of to, uh, to sustain our life daily. So, we see that one satisfies the physical needs, the other satisfies the spiritual needs. And we know that there are a certain number of calories that we need uh, to, for, to function properly. And I think uh, two slices of bread make uh, 120 calories, but uh, I eat more bread than I should. And uh, so I've got all these calories, you know, wondering what to do. But Jesus said, man shall not do what? Live by bread alone. So, I eat cookies and I eat. <laughs> That's still bread, isn't it? We kind of, uh, our, our fleshy nature, our current nature kicks in. But I'm glad he said that. Let's drop on down to verse 49. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, they said to Jesus, you know, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What and if? you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. So we ask ourselves, well, how would we account for that? What if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? Verse 63, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This word spirit in the, is in the Greek and it means pneuma. It is defined as a current of air or a breeze and figuratively a spirit that implies a vital principle, the Holy Spirit which is power like that of the unseen wind, though we can see and feel its presence. So there is power in the word, just as it, there is power in you know, the life-giving blood from the food we partake of. But there are some of you that believe not, he said, among his disciples. For Jesus knew from the beginning, and who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. And, verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So, who were these disciples that, that turned back? In one sense of the word, we have, you know, the twelve disciples under Christ, being taught by them. But in another sense, the disciples that went away 
meant those who went along with Jesus, but without any deep commitment. So they, they just uh, shrugged their shoulders and went away since Jesus knew who they, uh, who they were, uh, that they really didn't believe in him. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then came he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What? I do you know not now, but you shall know hereafter. And Peter said unto him, Then you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash you not, you have no part with me. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know you what I've done unto you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent, me, sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Uh, on down to verse 32. Jesus answered, Many good works have I showed you for my Father, for which of the, those works do you stone me? And they accused him of blasphemy because he made, him, made himself God. And he was you know, claiming authority that, they, uh, that belonged only to God. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, uh, the people that uh, were uh, seeking to be healed, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. And, you know, he didn't detail all of the sins of this person, but he just simply said, Your sins be forgiven you. In Matthew 26, um, uh, verse 61, he said he is going to, uh, he is able to destroy the temple of God and to build it back in three days. And this this made the high priest uh, rise up, and uh, all of these things were uh, blasphemy toward to them, and he had no Jesus had no right to really speak of these things that was in the power and authority of God. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter twenty-two, talking about the Passover. You know these scriptures you're going to probably hear again, and more so on, on the night. Of the Lord's Supper. And when the hour has come, uh, 
he sat down with his twelve apostles. And in verse 2, let's see. Verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And so he took bread and he gave thanks also and he broke it. And gave unto them, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So we see how uh, the comparison is with the physical food, but also the spiritual uh, side uh, of this uh, comparison. So the sacrament of the bread and wine pointed uh, to Jesus' pending sacrifice on the very day that the Passover lamb would be slain. I want to go to 1 Corinthians. I want to call some of this out in order to not keep you seated too long. So we read in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 that we should Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. You know, that old uh, carnal nature that we're supposed to be getting rid of. That we may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. You know, we are unleavened. And that's due to the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ, who died for us. For it says, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So, that sacrifice has paid for our transgression. Once, you know, we have accepted him as our savior that we may walk in newness of life. It's hard to get rid of every crumb when you're in search of, of, uh, of the leaven. You know, uh, you're, we all have different ways of cleaning that leaven from our premises. And, but somehow, sometimes you're going to discover that there's a spot that you forgot. You're going to find some leaven. might be uh, uh, crackers or something. And, uh, you th and which just points out that no matter how righteous you are, we're still, we still have uh, a lot of crumbs in our life that only Jesus uh, can search out and cover and clean up for us. Now, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians uh, 10 Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, the same spiritual food, the same spiritual bread. They did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So these things, it says, were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. <clears throat> uh, we know that there are things that, uh, that are foods that are not good for us. 
and you know they talk about empty calories and things and and some some of the things that we eat can in the uh, long run lead to various diseases in verse 7 concerning the spiritual verse 7 it says neither be you idolaters you know having other gods having other dominating interests in life they can they can take away from hungering and thirsting thirsting after righteousness and as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So when you think back to like uh, Exodus uh, where it says uh, that the Passover was a time, was a memorial, it was a feast by an everlasting ordinance, uh, we see that the children of Israel, even back then, commemorated the death of the Lord Jesus Christ through that Passover. For in verse uh, Exodus 39, it says, With a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, Moses said to them. So, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured. There's no telling you know, what kind of words they were saying and how vicious their words were. And they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Many bad things are happening in the world around us and you know they can affect our lives. And if we're not hungering or thirsting and after righteousness, we're going to run into trouble. Verse 12, wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We should always be on guard. We should always, you know, take on that armor of God so we, we can withstand the wiles of the devil. Having on the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Verse 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry, and I speak as to wise men, you know, that sensible people judge you what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Is that, it is that one bread of righteousness, Jesus Christ, that makes for life. So we have to partake of him through. 1 Corinthians 15, 30, I, don't, I didn't give this to you, or did, no, I didn't give this to you, Brian. But it says there, to, wake, to awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. You know, when Jesus was born, he was laid in a, in a crib that was used, you know, for grain, to make bread. And he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But we don't have everything now, do we? But we know 
that more is coming. Acts 17.31, because he has appointed a day in, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. A couple more uh, scriptural references here. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. I have fought a good fight, said uh, Paul. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So we see some things that, uh, that are, stands out to us. There's a good fight. And there's a course to finish. And there's the faith to keep. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, Paul saying, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That love his appearing, you know, in our life even now, and in the life that is to come, and in, and in the resurrection that is to come. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. <clears throat> The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You know, sometimes you think, well, he's forgetting. He's prolonging things. But he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is patient, long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if we don't take hunger and thirst after righteousness when we have the opportunity to do so, uh, you know, we've got some time to do that. We need to change our life. We need to change our attitude. Because where we find that scripture in Matthew chapter 5, you know, they call those the Beatitudes. Those are beautiful attitudes that Christ uh, gave to those, who would, to, to those who were listening. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know, after all, you know, the thousand years and after thing is over, you know, things are going to be a whole lot different. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, only the spiritual, those who have been changed from, from mortal to immortal, is going to be able to withstand that, that heat, that fiery heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the of saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So, 
And all of this, my concluding comment would be Matthew 5, verse 6 again. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled.